Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You've heard me talk about 1 and 2 Thessalonians quite a bit. 2 Thessalonians was the book that was written uh, nearly 30 days after he wrote the first book. And uh, the reason being, uh, when the Apostle when the Apostle Paul planted the church in Thessalonica, uh, which interestingly enough is now modern-day Greek uh, the capital of Greek Macedonia. Um, this church is still there. I want to go. Anybody else want to go with me? <laughs> I want to go. I want to go to the church in Thessalonica. <laughs> um, this church is still there. The apostle Paul planted it. Um, he mentions in, in, uh, in first Thessalonians chapter one, verse eight, that it is a crown of glory for him. Um, it was one of the places that he went into. Um, you can read the sto- read uh, more about the story of of uh, what went on in Thessalonica in the in the in the book of Acts chapter seventeen. Um, the apostle Paul, when he planted this church, um, he was more socially acceptable and more socially accepting, or accepted, I should say by the people of this particular city. So he had a quite a few people who actually showed up to church, became an established part of this church, and with its establishment, the Apostle Paul being under persecution himself, he ended up having to leave this city um, abruptly. So him and all of the individuals who were working with him pretty much had to pull up roots before he had really grounded them very well and leave. Well, the church being brand spanking new, was now open to um, persecutions. Now, the persecutions that were happening back then in Thessalonica were not so much Roman persecution. Romans were, they were pretty okay with, with Gentile believers. The Jews were the ones they were really hard on, but it was a spiritual persecution. The spiritual persecution being there were individuals who were aware of the things that Paul was teaching, and they would move into this church that was full of fairly new believers, and they would start disrupting their lives by telling them things that were not true. Now, in the process of them being under a spiritual persecution, the Apostle Paul wants to know how they're doing, so he sends Timothy to go check on them. Timothy, the Apostle Paul, is in Corinth. Um, Timothy goes, checks them out, and he comes back to Paul, and he reports to Paul, what's going on in the church, that this church is being bombarded um, with a spiritual persecution, and there's a whole lot of confusion inside the church, and that confusion is pretty broad. One of the biggest things that the church was um, having difficulty with was the idea of an individual dying and being afraid that if somebody died, that they would miss out on the blessings that the individuals who are here when Jesus comes back and gets his church were going to receive. So Paul wrote this letter to try to straighten out these issues that were created by these individuals who were trying to take the church down uh, because they were such new Christians. Now, in in chapter 5, which is where we're going to be today, I'm hoping I can get you all out of here on time today so you all got your special lunches with your your mothers and you're all going to just love on them and make them feel special like you should today, right? Come on, everybody shake your heads like this. Um, 
in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, the Apostle Paul is kind of he's kind of trying to sum some of this stuff up. But what I want us to pay close attention to, um, look back if you would to uh, chapter four, verse thirteen, and read verses thirteen through eighteen with me. It kind of sets the stage of the precedent with this. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this way, for this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the, until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. How many of you guys have gone through the phase in life where your brain just became totally consumed with death? Don't tell me I'm the only one. And most people don't stay there, but people get into those little pockets of time in life where, where really our mortality becomes front and center, and it's something that can eat on us. And I can promise you that when we're in that spot, there's a lot of stuff that we should be doing that we're not doing because it's consumed us. So we, we don't pay attention to the individuals that are around us. We don't pay close enough attention to the needs that we've been called to fulfill. We don't pay close enough attention to the emotional support that we're supposed to be giving the people that are around us. There's just so many things that we don't feel bad. I mean, we're human, all right? This is where the church in Thessalonica was at. They'd be, become so consumed by the things these individuals were coming to the church and saying that, that they become totally consumed to the point that they had stopped being a church. So Paul didn't come out of the chute beating them over the head, um, telling them shame on them, they shouldn't be thinking that way. Paul came out approaching it the correct way, which was, if you have concerns, we need to make sure that you fully understand so that those concerns are lightened. We, we'll never stop thinking about death. It's not going to happen. But one thing we can do is we continue to grow in the Lord, even though hopefully we never get to the point in our lives where we ask for it, we get to be okay with it. You've heard me stand up here before and say that the only thing that really keeps me strapped to this planet is me worrying about whether the people that I love are going to be okay or not. Whether it's individuals who are part of this church, my direct family, my concern is everybody going to be okay. Like I'm some kind of a supernatural force that as long as I'm here, you're all going to be okay. Stella Brindley used to laugh at me. I'd walk in the association and I would say, it's all going to be okay, I'm here. Not really a whole lot of truth in that statement, okay? But the fact is, the fact is when, when we have faith in Christ and that knowledge of that faith in Christ grows and we've, inst- we've done everything we could to instill that faith in Christ in our spouses and in our children, our spouses with each other, when we are consistently doing that, we have the ability to at least have the peace to not make that a major issue in our lives. Um, one of my daughters 
scared all the time about health problems. You may know who she is. You may not. I'm not going to tell you because I'm not going to embarrass her directly. So she became so concerned one day, and they thought this was bad advice. I didn't get it. I grabbed her. I pulled her over my lap, and I said, baby, you've got to get over one thing. One thing you've got to get straight. She said, what? I said, you're going to die. Of course, everyone in our family is like, oh, can't believe you just told her that. It's true. What is the death rate in this world? It's one per person. Five out of five people die. That's just a fact, right? I mean, I'm not getting on to anybody or causing problems with anybody about all these health stuff. I mean, I get it. You know, people want to lose weight. I could sure stand to lose a few pounds. But people just go so far. I mean, eating tofu. If you like tofu, I'm sorry that I've offended you, but you're just weird. Okay? Because, ew. Um, the amount of money, I actually looked this up. You know how much money we spent last year as a country on health and beauty needs? $16 billion on health and beauty needs. You can eat as healthy as you want to. You're still going to die. That's your encouragement for the day. We are individuals who have an expiration date. That's just the way that it is. Now, God doesn't want us to be people who hang on that as a negative. He wants us to make the most of the time that we have while we're here. And like the Apostle Paul said, to die is Christ. The fulfillment of of salvation in Christ, my faith in him, that's the day that that fulfillment happens. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. To die to die is, is gain. To live is Christ. As long as we're here, we've been provided the opportunity to be fruitful laborers for Christ, instilling in other people who Jesus Christ is, snatching some individuals out of the fire, being encouraging to other individuals. There are a whole lot of churches, folks, that have really lost their mind and they've lost their way in this day and age. It's become about the almighty dollar. It's become about the prestige. It's become about the one who owns the biggest building, the most beautiful building. It's become less and less about what it's supposed to be about. When we as individuals have the ability to understand that death is something that we will go through, it's not something we should ask for, but it's something that we should recognize as if we have time then we should be making the most of that time. So Paul, he mentioned this because he wants them to have peace in this, but then look what he says in chapter 5. Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Before we go any further, the Apostle Paul's saying, look, you're worrying about something that you don't even know whether you're going to know it when it happens. According to Scripture, How long does it take us to follow those? I just read it. How long does it take us to follow those who go before us? Within the twinkling of an eye. 
whether it's us taking our last breath or if it's Christ coming back for us, the fact of the matter is it's going to be like a thief in the night. Who's honestly looking for a thief? Hopefully we are all aware of the fact that it's a possibility, right? Um, people say all the time, Jesus come back in the next day. Jesus come back in the next 30 seconds. We don't know when it's going to happen. All we know is, is if the next 30 seconds start, we need to be people who are productive in our faith. And productive in our faith, I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you to give more than the Lord would have you give. I'm not asking you to give more financially, more physically, more of your time. You have a relationship with the living God. You let God be the one who leads you in the amount of every bit of support that you give him. And how you do it. Verse 4 says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night, nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. One of, I think one of the most shameful things that I've ever heard is that things have happened in our not-so-far past where individuals have said, this is going to wake the sleeping giant. Well, my question is, why is the giant asleep in the first place? You know, we are individuals who at least have the, have the capability of being able to know that Jesus could come back at any moment, right? We are individuals that have the ability to know in our lifetimes the downward slide of morality in this world. Anybody else afraid? And, and I say that, of course, in faith, just saying it for the sake of, sake of the personal impact on each and every one of us. As we watch generations grow up behind us, and I understand they're outliers, okay? Be clear. I'm not throwing an entire generation under a bus by any means. But I am telling you that every generation that comes along, you can throw a little bit more of them under the bus than the last one. You get what I'm saying? Things in this world are becoming, the immoral things are becoming more popular and more acceptable. I actually read an article the other day where somebody had went and asked questions of 25 colleges in the United States. In 25 colleges, 25 different states. Did you know that 75% of the girls on college campuses think that it's smart to have sex with their partner before they marry him? 100% of that 75% said it was also smart to have sex with someone else to make sure that you knew what it was that you were getting. We're seeing a morality slide in this country like we have never seen in my lifetime. And I've read the end of the book. It's not going to get better. It doesn't matter who we put in the White House. It doesn't matter who we put into Congress. It doesn't matter who we put in as governor. It doesn't matter what we do. We will not stop the downward slide of morality. What we can do is snatch some of the people from the fire as the slide continues to move. That's all we've been asked to do anyways. Just proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the truth. When we're individuals who know that we serve a God who has given us every bit of information we need to be able to see what's coming, and he has, the only way an individual does not see that downward slide is if they're snoozing. 
So I just pointed out a couple of areas. There are a whole slew of areas that if you look very closely at all, you find all kinds of ways that this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And I'll tell you what, you come to church on Wednesday night and we get into this Daniel study, I promise you I can make you leave here with your jaw on the floor. When Daniel made the prophecy, and the prophecy included the beast that came out of the sea that had ten horns. One horn sprouted up in the middle with eyes and a mouth that made great boasts. The one horn plucked three horns out of its place. That's prophecy, folks. We are seeing divisions happen in this world that let us know absolutely. We don't know when, but we know absolutely that it's coming. And the lesson's the same, whether it's in the book of Revelation, we've taught through five times since I've been here, or the book of Daniel, be ready. And if I was being honest and someone was to ask me to assess the church in this country today, is it ready? Nope. It's not. Now, I'm not responsible for the entire church in the country. I'm responsible for you. So my hope and prayer is, that there are more people than you that are ready, but at the very least, that if you're sitting in this church today, you're ready. Three and a half year tribulation, pulled out before, pulled out in the middle of. You know what eliminates that argument altogether? Be ready. That's what it all goes back to. Be ready. Because we have the ability to see that it's coming. And we see that it's coming. Again, I don't know what's going to happen in my lifetime, your kid's lifetime, their kid's lifetime, but I can promise you that it will continue to slide and it's going to continue to approach that day. Verse 7 says, For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk get drunk at night. Since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet the hope of salvation. Uses the armor here. The the last time we seen the armor was in uh, the book of Ephesians, and he mentions the armor here for a specific reason. Let's go back and take a look at this. It says uh, verse seven. But those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Let me ask you something. How many of you in here have ever been drunk before? I'm gonna raise my hand with you just so you don't feel ashamed, because I've been there, been there, done that. How are your senses when you're drunk? They sharp. You pay a whole lot of attention to what's going on around you. If you even see what's going on around you, do you care? Individuals who are a product of the day are individuals who have the ability to be able to pay attention to what's going on around us, the soberness. Um, for us to be sober-minded individuals means that we don't have we don't have those blockages that are going on in our minds that are preventing us from paying attention to what it is that's going on around us. The number of people that walk through their day in an entire day and don't even think about sharing the gospel with somebody. Here's the two possible options. One, God put absolutely nobody in your path in that entire day who needed to hear the gospel. You think that one's it? Or two, we were so busy about our schedule and so busy being consumed by everything that we needed to get done that we wouldn't have seen the opportunity had it slapped us straight in the forehead. Awake people, people who 
our people of the day. And and folks, don't take this as a preacher standing up here beating you, okay? I've been where you are, and at times I still slide back into those ruts because we are human beings. We serve a God who is a forgiving God. So this isn't to make you feel bad, to make you feel shameful. It's hopefully going to help to turn the light on a little bit so that every week when we leave the church, we have the opportunity to go out into the world and pay a little bit closer attention to the things that are going on around us. Because I can promise you the opportunities to encourage, the opportunities to strengthen, the opportunities to love, the opportunities are there. We just have to be individual train ourselves to pay attention to when those opportunities present themselves. Verse 80 says, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Each one of these pieces of armor, you notice, what do these pieces of armor do? Are they offensive or defensive? They're defensive. The book of Ephesians mentions an offensive weapon, right? The sword. He's not mentioning that here. He's mentioning these pieces of armor specifically because these pieces of armor are what protect us from the types of things that had combated against the church in Thessalonica. In other words, being self-aware of where we are in our faith. Being self-aware of our shortcomings. Let me ask you something. If you have a place in your house that you know is easy for somebody to break into, what do you do? I mean, when I was a kid, we even had windows that were nailed shut. Anybody else? Because the locks were either missing or they were broken. So the windows would get nailed shut. Somebody who isn't self-aware is someone who leaves themselves open to these attacks. Anybody here all of a sudden getting all these random text messages from these women who want you to go to the YouTube page? Do you need me to stand up here and tell you it's a trap? We protect ourselves by being individuals who are self-aware. When somebody says, click this to look at my pictures, usually not a good thing. Not good for us, not good for our wives, not good for our families, not good for our culture, certainly not good for our Lord. Being self-aware individuals is what these four pieces of armor are mentioned for. Each one of them protects something very special. And in its protection, it is providing an effect. My heart's protected by my faith. My heart's protected by love. The helmet protects my hope. You ever had the devil get in your head? Tell you it wasn't really that special? Nobody really needed you. Salvation. Something we forget, and I've said many times before that way too many times we as a church cheapen. Very quick to say, Jesus died on the cross for us. True statement. Amen. Is it because it makes us uncomfortable to mention that he had a crown of horns mashed down on his head that was driven into his scalp with a reed? that he was beat by a battalion of 200 Roman soldiers, that he was whipped with a cat of nine tails until his flesh was tore from his body, that after he had bled nearly out, 
he was instructed by the Romans to carry his own cross to a hill where he knew that he would be crucified and he would hang there until he asphyxiated to death. Does it cheapen it just to say that Jesus died for us? It is more empowering to us as individuals to remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. And he made that sacrifice not just to save us for our eternity. He made that sacrifice to save us from today and tomorrow. If we remember what the breastplate provides for us, and we remember what the helmet provides for us, it will protect us. It will keep us from being it will make us impermeable to any type of, of force that the devil tries to throw at us. Again, we're imperfect. We're going to fail. But please never take me saying we're imperfect and we're going to fail for a justification for failing. Because our sin does grieve God. Verse 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, one another up just as you also are doing. When's the last time you said something to encourage somebody? Husbands, when's the last time that you told your wives that you appreciate them? Wives, when's the last time you told your husbands that you appreciate them? Moms and dads, when's the last time that you just, for no reason, grabbed your kids, threw your arms around them, hugged them tight, <clears throat> and said, I love you and I'm so glad that God gave you to me? When's the last time that you knew somebody was going through something difficult and you just sent them a text message and said, I want you to know I'm praying for you? Are they going in for a surgery and you say, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. Or an individual visits the church and they get a notification. Not because it's a policy, but because, hey, we really enjoyed your visit. Thank you for the opportunity for me to minister to your family, for us to minister to your family. This is simple stuff. This is stuff that we as individuals have the ability to do consistently. How many of you that are in here right now wouldn't be encouraged by somebody walking up to you and saying, hey, I don't know what you're going through in life. You may not be going through anything rough right now, but I just want you to know that I'm going to pray for you every day. Because the fact is, show of hands, how many people in here have unspoken prayer requests? We're all going through something, aren't we? And if you aren't going through it today, you will tomorrow. We are individuals who have been called to faith in Christ in a world that has fallen. That offers more pain to someone who puts themselves in that relationship than any other person on this planet. We have more need to encourage each other than any other group on this planet. Our, got a bulletin? Somebody got a bulletin with them? The church's theme verse that I adopted a long time ago. I want somebody to read that real loud for me. Would you read it real loud for me? 
encouraging each other. That's what this is about. Don't don't not come to church. Come to church because, hey, we want to love on you. Come to church because we want to know. We want you to know that we care enough. We want you to know that it's enough for us as individuals to accept one another, not as church members, but to accept one another as family members. Family members, not who share the same blood because we share the same parents, but family members who share the same blood because the same blood from Christ fell on Calvary. Verse 12 says, But we request all of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their, because of their work. Live in peace with one another. That almost sounds like a self-gratifying verse for a preacher to read, doesn't it? But I got news for you. It isn't only talking about the preacher. Who have charge over you? Sunday school teacher is talking to you. Any individual who has been given a gift is granted authority with that gift by God. Talking to you. Are you your brother's keeper? According to God, you are. This is the one little section that I get to encourage about moms, too. How many of you guys have ever been a kid who didn't like something that mom told you to do? How about didn't like the punishment that mom handed out? After you grew up and you became a parent yourself or you just got old enough to be mature, how many of you appreciated every instruction, every punishment, every beating that you got from your mom? Got plenty of my dad too. Dads get to get thrown into that as well. But today being Mother's Day, the list that I read, earlier this morning of all the jobs that they accomplished in their lifetime. They're worthy of appreciation. As well as anybody else who serves in the Lord. I'll tell you something, folks. It can be frustrating being a parent. Amen? It can be frustrating in ministry. With all frustrations, do you think it's worth it? Every second was worth it. Verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. I'm going to stop there. But I want to say this. As much as there are people in this world who are facing difficulty, troubles, they need people to pray with them, they need people to encourage them, there are also the individuals who have these characteristics. And I can tell you that if we are out of our element, you know what I'm talking about, I'm going to give you some advice, all you parents. Never spank a child when you're angry. 
Why you suppose that's good advice? becomes less about discipline and more about satisfying ourselves. I, I'm a big believer in spanking. Don't get me wrong. Spare the rod, spoil the child. I think that if we did some of the things they did back in the Old Testament, we would have a whole different generation of people who are growing up. They still do it in Turkey. Kid's a troublemaker. They take him to the center of the, of the town court, strap him to a pole, and they cane whip him right in front of the public. How many of those do you think you'd have to go through before you decided to change your ways? If we're out of our element, not only will we not love people who need to be loved, but we will find them aggravating. Been there. <clears throat> I've been in ministry for 30 years. I've been a pastor in this church for 20. And I can tell you that the Lord has had people cross my path who I have given advice to more than 15 times, who turned around blatantly, did not take the advice. What I told them was going to happen, happened. What do you think I feel like when they come to me for advice the 16th time? You see, if, if I take that personal, and I don't just be who it is that God asked me to be, which is the advice giver, I'm not responsible for people's choices they make. I'm only responsible for leading them to the choice that God would have them make. And whether they come to me 16 times or they come to me 30 times, I shouldn't be so aggravated or frustrated that I don't want to give them that advice. I've had people come to visit here who were involved in a lifestyle of selling marijuana. Smoked it quite a while in my life when I was a youngster. Glad the Lord brought me out of that, that type of lifestyle. But I'll tell you one thing it taught me. When somebody comes to me and say, hey, I'm struggling with an addiction, instead of being the preacher who wants to take the biggest book in his library and beat him over the head with it, I remember where I came from. I remember what the struggle was. And I have the ability to sit down and admonish them. Find ways that the Lord would have me tell them that if this is a lifestyle that's contrary to his will, then it's a lifestyle that you have to leave. If we aren't paying attention, folks, and we allow all of the pressures of this world and all of the individuals who are trying to push false information at us, the world who's trying to aggravate us, really what they're trying to get us to do is they're trying to push us off of Jesus's game. They're trying to pull us out of the pocket. If we have the ability to recognize that. Folks, I believe Jesus got aggravated. Somebody asked me how. Glad you asked. How many times in the Bible does it record for us times that Jesus left everybody and just went and sat down on a hill somewhere? He came to save people. We see his controlled aggravation when he was dealing with the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the lawyers. Being aggravated is human, as Jesus was. Being righteous is superhuman. That's where who God's called us to be 
has the ability to stand in the place of who we would be in our fallen nature. First and foremost, if you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. You've never made that public proclamation. You've never followed through in believer's baptism. Today's the day of salvation. Don't walk up here because the preacher asked you to. I'm only asking you to respond if the Holy Spirit speaks to you and people all the time. Well, what does that mean? You'll know. Trust me. If you're not comfortable coming up here, hang out for a little bit afterward. I'll do whatever we need to do to sit down and talk about the one that has the power to save your soul. If you're here today and you're a believer, I want you to pay attention to your surroundings and recognize the places that if you tell me don't exist, I'm telling you you're lying because it affects 100% of us. The areas of our life where we've allowed ourselves to become distracted, whether it's worry, fear. And before you leave this place today, I would love nothing more than for you to be absolutely centered on your relationship with Jesus. It's a kind of heart that don't only show appreciation to your to your wife, who is a mother, one day a year. But that appreciation grows into something that is shown 365 days a year. The encouragement, the admonition, everything that Jesus Christ has asked us to be can only happen if Jesus is in control. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.